0: So Colossians chapter 2, Begin to read from verse uh, 16. Immediately before these verses, Paul's been reminding the Colossians of the fullness that dwells in Christ and how they've been made full in him. And here we pick up Paul's argument. Therefore, verse 16, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world why as though you still belonged to the world do you submit to its rules do not handle do not taste do not touch These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Let us read scripture for us this afternoon, friends. Mark is going to come and preach God's word to us this afternoon, helping us see what we're meant to learn from these verses. Mark, over to you.
1: Father in heaven, would you help us now by your Holy Spirit so that we may hear your voice and obey your word and understand true freedom your way, for your glory, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, halfway through our short series in uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians and we've seen that Paul's burden in this letter is to set forward the glory of Christ the sufficiency of Christ um, so that his readers would know that they were complete in him that their salvation was complete and they needed no more and no other Paul wanted them then and the Holy Spirit wants you and us now to live a confident Christian life He doesn't want false ideas to rob you of the confidence of your salvation. He doesn't want false ideas to lead you off course. He wants you to continue to walk in Christ. He wants you to continue to live your lives in Christ. He wants you to know that if you are truly rooted in Him and are being built up in Him, then you lack nothing in your spiritual experience. Indeed, it is impossible that you could lack anything. Why? Uh, Well, because as we saw last week in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2, um, in him, the him that you are rooted in and being built up in, is Christ, in whom all the fullness of deity dwells. And in him you have been brought to fullness. If you were to memorize only two verses from the whole book, uh, let it be these two. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. All the book springs from this fountainhead. In him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Now in chapter 3, which we will get to next week and following, Paul is going to flesh out some of the practicalities of what living the full life in Jesus looks like. But before he gets there, he needs to address some false ideas. Some wrong teaching that had begun to make their way into the church at Colossae. These false teachers said things like, "Um, it's great that you've become Christians, you've made a good start, but there's so much more to the Christian life. There's a fullness of spiritual experience that you can have, but that you don't have yet. Let me show you the way. Let me teach you the secrets of the deeper Christian life. Follow me. Now, of course, it's right that we do follow those that God has appointed to lead us. Paul himself said to the Corinthian church, you may remember, follow me as I follow Christ. As I follow Christ. But these new teachers in Colossae, uh, their teaching was not the way of Christ. Their intentions might, note, might, we don't know, their intentions might have been good, but good intentions aren't enough. That's why Paul says to the Colossian Christians in verse 8 of chapter 2, See to it that no one takes you captive by hollow and empty ideas. Ideas built on human thinking, not according to Christ. See, even if their intentions were good enough, or sorry, even if their intentions were good, that's not good enough. The content of their teaching needed to be true and according to Christ. No, no matter how well-intentioned your local fireman is, you would not let him prescribe medication for your illness. Right knowledge is required, not just right intentions. But these new, intention, these new teachers, however well-intentioned they might or might not have been, they were not prescribing the right medicine. Their ideas were not according to the gospel of Christ. So, Paul warns the Colossians... We, uh, we heard the first warning last week, see to it that no one takes you captive. Now essentially that warning was against the spiritual danger of adopting a worldview of building your life on thinking that does not recognize that the, at the center of all things is the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now the next two warnings are manifestations of that kind of thinking. The first is essentially about legalism, and the second is about a a pair of isms that go together, asceticism and mysticism. So legalism first, and then asceticism and mysticism. And in giving these warnings, Paul also tells us some things about the false teachers who are promoting these new ideas. So we have two warnings about false teaching and a warning about false teachers. Now we'll start with the first warning, and then we'll hear what Paul has to say about the teachers, and then we will hear the final warning. Okay, so with that said, the first warning is in verse 16. Don't let anyone judge you. Let no one judge you based on what you eat or don't eat or based on religious rituals. Let no one judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. What's he talking about? Well, all these things, dietary laws and religious festivals, were all part of Old Testament Judaism. They were part of the Old Covenant law. The law said, you may eat this and you may not eat that. You must attend temple worship at this time of the year, and when you get to the temple you must do precisely this and not that. The Sabbath begins precisely at this time on this day, and lasts until that time on the next day, and here's all the list of what you must do and what you may not do on the Sabbath. These were all things by which an Old Testament Jew demonstrated that he or she belonged to God and belonged to God's people. They were external, visible signs of holiness. Now it seems what was happening was that these new teachers that had arisen in Colossae were saying, in effect, good for you that you've become Christians, but now, if you really are devoted to God, then you need to demonstrate, to prove your devotion. And you must prove it by keeping all these rules from the Old Covenant. That's why we think these new teachers were Jewish. They took all the external signs that displayed holiness under the Old Covenant, that proved devotion, and they told this church of mainly Gentile believers that they must adopt these external signs to prove their devotion. They were saying, if you don't do these things, then yes, you may well be saved, but you're, you're elementary grade Christians. If you want to graduate to the higher levels of Christianity, if you really want to please God, then you must keep the rules of Old Testament Judaism. Advanced Christianity, higher grade Christianity, is Jesus plus rules. And Paul responded by saying, Don't let anyone judge you in that way. Don't let anyone tell you that you need to keep the Old Covenant rules, to really measure up. And that if you don't, then you're only second-class Christians. Don't let them put those rules on you. Don't, remember verse 8, don't be captured by that way of thinking. Don't let anyone judge you in that way. Now, what was wrong with the Old Testament food laws and festivals? Well, nothing. At least not in and of themselves. God himself instituted all of these, and Paul was not knocking them. God himself commanded these rituals as part of the Old Covenant. They revealed God. They revealed God's holiness. They revealed his character to his people and to the world. Obedience to those laws was a visible, external sign of holiness. For example, when God gave the food laws... In Leviticus chapter 11, he said to Israel, uh, You shall not eat this, you shall not eat that, you shall not defile yourselves by eating these things. Instead, consecrate yourselves. Be holy, for I am holy. These laws pictured holiness. They pictured consecration to God. They were a means by which God's people showed that they were God's people. But that's all they were. Pictures. They only ever represented the real thing. They were never the real thing itself. They were shadows, Paul says in verse 17. They only ever fell in the shape of the real thing. They took the form of holiness. And now the reality has come. Jesus Christ, the one in whom, verse 9 of chapter 2, the one in whom all the fullness of deity dwells. Jesus who is called the Holy One of God. True holiness has come. Jesus, the Holy One, has come. Jesus is the real thing. He is the substance of holiness that cast the shadow, that cast the shape of holiness forward through history. And all the good and righteous laws and rituals that God established were only ever pointing to Jesus, anticipating his coming. Israel failed to keep the law. They failed to be holy. You and I failed to keep the moral law of God. We failed to be holy. But Jesus succeeded where Israel failed and where you and I failed. He perfectly kept all the law, the whole law, every part, and so cancelled the debt of condemnation prescribed by the law for failing to keep the law, by taking that condemnation upon himself in his death on the cross. And So now, because the legal charge that stood against us has been nailed to the cross, verse 14, because all your sins have been forgiven, verse 13, because all the fullness of deity Including the perfect holiness of God dwells in Christ, and you are in him, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, in him you are holy. Quickly turn back uh, a page in your Bibles to the beginning of the letter, chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother to, what does he call you? God's holy people. God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful in Christ. You are in Christ already God's holy people. You don't need to qualify yourselves to God. He has already qualified you. He has already made you holy in Christ. Therefore, back to chapter 2 and verse 16, therefore, Do not let anyone judge you based on Old Covenant signs of holiness. Do not let anyone tell you that you don't measure up if you don't keep these rules. Don't let anyone lay upon you Jesus plus rules. Paul wanted the Colossians to be confident in their status before God based only on the finished work of Christ, not based on Christ's plus law-keeping. That's not the gospel. That would be a religion of human achievement. Yes, Jesus got me started, but look how well I've progressed by keeping all these laws. And by the way, if you also want to progress, then you need to keep them too. That's not the gospel. Is it any wonder Paul said, as he did in his letter to the Galatians, that he would not yield in submission to law-keeping Christianity even for a moment. Hear why? He would not yield even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. That's Galatians 2.5 if you want to look it up. Salvation in Christ alone is the gospel. You received Christ the Lord, now continue to live in him rooted and built up in him. That's the gospel. Christ plus Old Covenant law-keeping is anti-gospel. But, as is so often the case, error comes when we only tell half the story. Note, Paul did not say, don't let anyone judge you, full stop. He said, don't let anyone judge you by... Old Covenant law-keeping. Don't let anyone judge you by mere external signs of holiness. Don't let anyone tell you that growth in the Christian life is all about law-keeping and external signs. But many Christians hear that as, don't let anyone judge you, full stop. And that's not what Paul said. There is to be judgment in the church. And if you are saved, if you are in Christ, then you should be growing in holiness. And, and this is the part that our sinful, independent natures (laughs) we don't like, but it is the church's business whether or not you are in fact growing in holiness. You might remember from uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul said in chapter 5, Do not associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian, If he is guilty of, and he lists various things, sexual immorality, greed, if he's an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, do not even eat with such a one. Note, if he claims to be a Christian. It's not our place to judge unbelievers, he said, those outside the church, but it certainly is the church's responsibility to judge those inside the church. God judges those outside, but you... Church, you purge the evil person, that is, the one who claims to be a Christian but who doesn't live like a Christian should live. Purge them from among you. It absolutely is the church's duty in love to judge unholiness, unholy living inside the church. And if you are saved, and evidence that you are saved. Is a deep hearted desire to grow in holiness. Look with me at verse twenty three here of chapter two. These, Paul says, these in, in other words, the warnings that he's he's talking about now, legalism and asceticism and mysticism, these all have an appearance of wisdom. But they're of no value in restraining the indulgence of the flesh. Or, your translation might say, they have no value in restraining sensual indulgence. Well, what's implied in that statement? Paul implies that stopping the indulgences of the flesh is a thing we should want to do, and should in fact do. We should, progressively throughout our Christian lives, be putting sin to death. As John Owen famously said, be killing sin." Or sin will be killing you. There is a pathway of Christian experience. It is the path of holiness. It's not just that you get saved and stay there as you were. Yes, Christ loved you so much that he died for you as you were. And he loves you so much that he does not leave you as you were. You are God's holy people in Christ. Now be Holy in Christ. So again, back to verses 6 and 7. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, now continue to live your lives in him. Continue to walk in him. Continue rooted and built up in him. Be so Jesus-focused in your life that you grow in Christ-likeness. But it is to be a growth in Christ-likeness from the inside out as the Holy Spirit transforms you more and more to be like Him. So in correcting these errors in Colossae, Paul would not have us swing to the other extreme. We are not saved by ritual holiness, by external displays of holiness. But if we are saved, then from the very center of our hearts, we will desire holiness. And we will pursue holiness, Not by adding rules to our lives. Not by painting shadows on the floor. Not by defining forms of holiness. But by looking past the shadows. To him who is the Holy One of God himself. By living rooted in him. Built up in him. Okay, so to remember where we are in Paul's argument. Paul has warned us against the spiritual danger of living out of any worldview that doesn't recognize that the center of all things is Jesus Christ the Lord. That was in verse 8. Next, he he warned us against one of the ways that a man-centered worldview shows itself, which is by legalism. I need to earn God's favor. Now he also warns us about this pair of isms that go together, asceticism and mysticism we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we do, Paul also tells us some important things about these teachers. Their teaching matters. But even if you aren't 100% sure why somebody's teaching is wrong, there are some things you can look out for in the teachers themselves that will alert you to stay away from them. That should put up a warning flag in your mind saying something's not right here. Well, more could be said from this passage, but I'm just going to briefly, really briefly, zoom in on two characteristics of these false teachers. The first in verse 18. Such a person, Paul tells us, goes into great detail about what they have seen. About what they have seen. Private revelations. Untestable uh, mystical insights apart from the Word of God, private revelations what they have seen. Their teaching is all about things that they have seen and experienced and know. Now, how does this compare to how Paul presents the ministry of a, tr- of a true teacher? Well, you might remember from chapter 1, verse 25, Paul described his ministry as a steward a stewardship that is or a commission from God given to him for the good of the church to do what to present to you the word of God in all its fullness the teaching of a true teacher is the te- is the word of God it's not something that i know by myself because i prayed for 4 hours and i had this revelation it's the word of God so the first thing we look out for, or should I say the first thing that should ring an alarm bell, even if we aren't sure exactly what it is about the teaching that is wrong, is when somebody's going on about details of something that they have supposedly seen themselves, as opposed to presenting to you the Word of God in all its fullness. Second thing to look out for, verse 19, they have lost connection with the head Paul tells us, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. They have lost connection with the head. Detached, it's an individualized spirituality. A characteristic common to many false teachers throughout the world and throughout history is this individualized, private spirituality. It's not something to be expressed or pursued in and through the church. Now, I don't need the church. I don't need brothers and sisters. I don't need teachers. I don't need elders. I don't need to come to worship with other people. I don't need a home group. It's all private. It's all alone. It's an individualized, detached spirituality. Now, if you compare that, for example, with Paul's prayer for the Colossian church in chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. You may remember all of that is plural. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, plural, asking that you, plural, may be filled with the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. To walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit, etc. Paul's prayer, Paul's vision for a growing, healthy, spiritually mature ring church is a plural vision. It's a vision for you together. But these teachers advocated something private, something detached, something individualized, a lone range of spirituality. Well, according to Paul, there is no true growth in the Christian life apart from the body of Christ. We grow as God gives growth to the body. Beware of self-styled spiritual leaders who go on about private spiritual insights and who promote an individualized spirituality. And finally for today, let's hear Paul's final warning in this section. Verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or who insists on asceticism and the worship of angels disqualify you. What does he mean by disqualify? Well, he means it in the way an umpire would mean it. The Colossians had been running the race of the Christian life well. You remember at the beginning of the letter Paul called them The faithful, the faithful brothers and sisters in Colossae. They were doing well. But now these new teachers had come along and told them that they weren't running properly. They were in danger of being disqualified. That they they weren't doing the right things and therefore they wouldn't be able to get the prize they were running for. If they wanted the real, full experience of Christianity and the rewards that come with it, They needed to do things differently. In particular, in addition to keeping all the Old Covenant rituals, they needed to adopt asceticism and mysticism. They needed to deny their physical bodies any natural pleasures or comforts. Essentially, they needed to suppress their natural physical needs. Almost punish their bodies by extreme self-denial in order to prepare their souls for otherworldly mystical experiences in worship. It seems from verse 21 that extreme fasting is probably what they were on about. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch rules about things destined to be perished as they are used up, Paul says. In other words, what they were saying to the Colossians was that they needed to free their souls... By denying their bodies. And as they got more in touch with their souls, and as they earned access to the spiritual realm by extreme self-denial, so they could join the worship of the angels. In times of worship, their souls could enter the spiritual realm with the angels. But to earn that access, they needed to deny their bodies. Now, what does Paul say to all that? Well, verse 18, he says that for all their claims to a higher spirituality, these people are unspiritual. Do you see that in verse 18? Such a person is puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They who think they're so super-spiritual are actually full of hot air, full of nonsense, and haven't a clue about true spirituality fullness is already yours paul has told us in christ all the fullness of deity dwells bodily and in christ you have been brought to fullness you have been you have been it's not contingent he doesn't say you can experience spiritual fullness if dot 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 no you have objectively being brought to fullness in Christ, in whom all the fullness of deity dwells. What greater spiritual experience could there be? Even when we get to the new creation, there will be no higher spiritual experience than that we are in Christ. Yes, our faith will turn to sight and we will see him. Yes, we will join the choirs of angels in song. But even then, there will be no higher, no fuller, no more glorious spiritual reality than that we are in Him. What could be? What could possibly be higher than that? Don't let anyone disqualify you, Christian. Telling you that you're living a a, a substandard, second-rate, spiritually diluted Christianity if you don't have out-of-this-world experiences. We can summarize Paul's response to that by saying, what a load of unspiritual nonsense. Don't you know you're in Christ and have been filled in Him? Paul's vision of the full Christian life is one that is in Christ by faith. Chapter 1, verse 4. Redeemed by Christ. Chapter 1, verse 14. Reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 20. Lived in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 7. Rooted in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 7. Built up in Christ. Again, 2, verse 7. Raised with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 12. You have been brought to fullness in Christ. Christ. Don't let anyone judge you by the shadows. Don't let anyone diminish the fullness you already have by turning your attention to mysticism. Do daily seek Christ. Hold fast to Christ, one commentator says, as the center and source of all your joy. And that is where Paul goes next week in chapter 3, which Jim will preach for us then. Won't you bow your hearts with me as I pray for us? Father, what a glorious reality it is that we are in Christ. That you have qualified us. There was nothing we could do to earn. We could chase shadows for an eternity and never qualify ourselves for what you, by grace, have given us in Christ. Father, would you help us not to return to the shadowlands? Would you help us to recognize false ideas when we hear them? Would you help us to recognize false teachers when we meet them? Would you help us to be discerning? Would you, Father, would you cause our hearts to rejoice in the reality that we already are in him? in whom all the fullness of deity dwells. We have been brought to fullness in Him. Help us now, Father, as we move on in this letter in the coming weeks, to learn more about what that looks like in practice, to flesh out some of the practicalities of day-to-day holy living. You called your people, be holy, for I am holy. You have made us holy in Christ, Father. And holiness we desire. Change our hearts. Lead us on the path of holiness, we pray. Amen.